Hello and welcome to Radio, episode 14, coming off Newcastle's number one greatest of all time podcast. I'm back. I went to bleed and races was on the 9th of June, 1862 on a summer's afternoon. But you must remember this is she was heavy laden. The way we went along Collingwood Street, that's on the road to bleed. Okay, just pointing out to everyone, all of my teams won this weekend after they got played. It's 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 happening. Yeah, the, the curse is over. Like, it's done. <laughs> it's done. Just like that. Alright. Well, you're here first. We're about to get the first win. Well, let's get into club news. As soon as I tell you, follow us to us. Go to our website, comminghomenewcastle.com. Twitter at comminghomenufc. But our podcast account at chn underscore radio. And also listen to the Warren Barton interview more. It's why not? Like why not? Yeah, yeah, it's great. Um, so we'll, we'll get we're gonna get right into club news. Uh, first debate, I guess, that Newcastle has Twitter wise this week is whose fault is everything? And we're gonna get into Brighton. We're gonna go over all that. And but it's we all know the result. Brighton one, Newcastle zero. And it's it's tough. We're we're almost into November now. No wins. So what? Who's who's the blame? And a lot more blame has get, been getting put towards Rafa's direction. And I'll I'll start first and just say like every coach is going to have criticisms. That's every manager. It's that's just the way things go. Like I have criticisms with how Rafa ran the side like you're down one nil you need attacking options you're swinging the ball in you have your smallest guys on the pitch that's my criticisms but to blame the start on him i don't think is i just think it's wrong like you're you're wrong um he took a he took a side that was 10th we he, he made us fin- miracle is a miracle that we finished 10th last year we then didn't spend any money and everyone else got better. We got outspent by two pro- or all promotion sides or except for Cardiff. Sorry. So two of the three promotion sides. And so, so everyone expects us to be 10th again or better, but no, like that's not how it works. So I think it's very obvious whose fault it is. And it's still whose fault it is. And this is, I'm sure exactly what all the marketing companies are, are wanting us to say for Mike Ashley is, oh, we should start blaming our Rafa now. No, it's it, you shouldn't. It's it's wrong. But I want to hear Elijah's takes on this because he, he's going to bring a little bit more insight to it. I, I like his opinions uh, more than mine. Mine's pretty just like cut and dry. But Elijah, walk us through your thought process. Um, and, and by the way, for our loyal listeners, uh, you can read this article that has our most of our staff uh, has their their takes on this issue. Um, check it out on the website. It's called Coming Home Newcastle Roundtable. Who is truly at fault? Very, very straightforward name. So um, you can get Brian's hot takes, uh, Jeans, Graham, Cameron, the whole, the whole squad, Greg, of course. But, um, but yes, uh, the easiest answer on the service level is Mike Ashley. Um, and, I don't, and I really think that there's, there's a lot of people who, um, it, like, who are rational, who, who believe it's Mike Ashley. Um, I mean, part of that reason is that uh, one of the biggest issues – um, that we've had this season have been stuff that we were trying to address in the summer window but couldn't due to a lack of spending. Uh, Rob Fulton didn't prove depth on the team, bring in some more defenders, bring in some more fullbacks, bring in some more midfielders. Um, we obviously lost one of our, our holding midfielders, Mikel Marino, this summer, as well as he wanted to bring in a proven striker who's going to score goals. And um, that's been the issue with Newcastle this season. They've hung in there in games and all of their games. We haven't been completely blown out of the water like some of, some of the other teams around that mid-table level. Um, and, you know, we even get to a point where we'll have a lead, like at Man, at Man U, um, where we'll be up 2-0. And just simply the fact that, like, our players are tired, we have to sub people, we have to bring people on. The quality we bring on is just not good enough to sustain that lead and we give up three goals and lose the game. Or you're at a situation where you're creating chances, 
um, and not converting. And that's been the story of the past year at Newcastle. That's nothing new. And that's that, that, that falls on Mike Ashley for not going out and investing in the club and, and at least at a bare minimum buying a striker. I think that um, if Newcastle had splashed the cash for one striker this season, I do think that, you know, more of the blame could have been put on, on Rafa for not choosing the right striker, but, but he's not even given the opportunity to buy who he really wants. Instead, we have to bring in Rondon on loan who, I mean, he's, he might be broken. We don't know. Um, but you know, it, that, that's been the big issue is that those kind of two things um, have plagued the club. But that being said, like Greg said, um, we, we have very much a, a similar team to last season. Arguably, you could say that Muto has improved the squad or having Sharon Fernandez, that, that depth has improved the squad. But it's not – it's very marginal. It's not to the level of everyone else. Um, but I, I honestly – I do expect the club to turn everything around. The players are great. Um, Dubrovka is playing like a top-five Premier League goalkeeper. And, and that right there is going to help us out in the long run. I'm having that goal, for, goal differential down as long as we're able to start putting stuff in the back of the net. Um, and so, I don't know. I, I really think that this team has the potential to turn things around, start a, a run of good games. I mean, they had – they were very – we'll talk about it later. They controlled the majority of that match. They just couldn't convert chances. And and, and that ultimately falls on, on Mike Ashley for not investing in the club and, and buying someone who can finish those chances off. So, I don't know. That, that's kind of my take. Yeah, and – it's definitely true. I mean, you, you could see the negligence going around in the entire squad, and now you're seeing him show up, right? But you can't – and, like, look at – you mentioned Rondon. Like, and I saw somebody on Twitter mention this, like, well, Rafa targeted Rondon the entire time. Like, so that's his guy. Why isn't he doing anything? Rafa's never targeting Rondon, right? Yeah. It's never going to happen. He that's that's what he knew. He that's the top of what he knew he could get. If Rafa could target a striker, you better believe it's not going to be Rafa. It's going to be a good striker. So yeah. like he he can only play to the means that he's given to anything he's given. That's the best that he can do. And, and let's um, be real, Rondon. The reason you know he targeted. I'm using air quotes, but no one can see them. This is yeah, great. Yeah, you actually could hear. Your air quotes, I feel like there. Thank you. The way you said targeted, I, I was like, oh, that's air quote. Yeah, and <laughs> it was like the only reason we targeted him was his release clause was, what, 16, 16 and a half million or something, which is like pretty much the bare minimum you can possibly pay for a Premier League striker. And it's like, all right, this guy has been in the Premier League. He has scored goals in the Premier League. If Mike Ashley is not going to spend the $20 million, well, 20 million pounds to get any other striker that I know would be better, this is what I'm going to have to deal with. And he knew that worst comes to worst, we probably can loan this guy in, no issue. So especially since he wanted out and wanted to stay in the Premier League. So it, it, it's like you have to look at everything within the context. And, and that's the same thing with like our, our, our results. If you, if you look at our results just by themselves and not compare how some of these teams have run through the rest of the, rest of the league, if you only look at, you know, oh, we lost to Man City. Oh, we lost to Chelsea. Oh, we lost. Oh, we lost. Our, and you don't look at how is Chelsea done against Fulham, or how's Chelsea done against, or how's Man City done against uh, West Ham, or or some of these other teams in, in a similar situation. Then you you kind of you you kind of are going to be prone to overacting and kind of blaming everything on Rafa, and not recognizing yeah. that he, even though it's not ideal, he he saved us a lot of points goal differential wise. If we have to get into a battle, which you know that for a while kept us out of the relegation zone before we went on our, our crazy run of last season it was our goal differential. And I, I think similar things going to happen again. Yeah, no, I, I definitely agree. And you could even bring it out on some of the players, but then it always comes back to one person, right? I mean, Rafa can only make as many substitutions as, as three. And he looks at his bench and are, do you feel that our bench is primarily quality? Dude, this was this is actually legitimately might be one of the worst benches in the Premier League. Yeah, and and I'm oh, like, yeah. it, and it and it's really sad because like, I, I was thinking about it, and and I think we might have discussed it in in like, um, in in uh in our in our Slack or whatever. But it's like, okay, yeah, it was very evident that we needed someone to convert those chances, and this was the first time in the history of me being on Twitter, um, and and seeing this. People were calling for Hasselu. 
Hasselu, a man <laughs> who we ridiculed for the past season for not being able to score goals. People are calling for him because we need a target, man. And, of course, like as soon as he gets on, we all remember that he's hostile, and everyone immediately is like, okay, we hate this guy. And then, like, <laughs> exactly. like, and like, and people are like, oh, why don't we make any other subs? All right, so we, in the past, the, the rest of the season, we've brought on uh, the likes of Jacob Murphy and Christian Atsu, and what have they done when they've come on? Absolutely nothing. And it's like, so why even, it's not even worth subbing them on and taking off Richie and Kennedy, who are arguably, you know, some of your, two of your best players on the pitch that day. It's like it's it's not worth subbing either one of them off to bring on Murphy or bring on on Christian Atsu. It's not worth subbing off Iose Paris and playing one of these guys out of position because I mean, as bad as Iose Paris is at the number ten role, I don't think that you know moving Jacob Murphy or moving Kennedy mid game to that role is going to give you much. It's like like what do you, what does anyone expect us to do? Yeah, exactly. Like, there's there's no there's nothing that Rafa or the players can do. Yeah, there's nothing like they can try their best, but if they're not good enough every week, what what do you expect? And I mean, and it's even worse where it's like your midfield depth. I mean, Key wasn't even on the bench, um, which imagine if Shelby gets hurt. Yeah, like what are you gonna do? You you have Isaac Hayden, and he doesn't want to be here. He's looked terrible every time he's come out. Key just looks like a shell of himself. He looks like. He looks like he belongs in, in the MLS right now. Like, he just looks terrible um, in the sense of, like, how the MLS used to be. I don't want to piss off any MLS fans um, where you'd have an old guy retiring MLS. But it, it looks like Key's just out of it, and he hasn't looked good this whole season. It's just I don't, I don't know what people are expecting when yeah. it's like there was an, a clear ask for depth and, and for the ability to sign players this offseason, and we scraped the bottom of the barrel once again. Um, and obviously that story that, that gets even worse about our summer. Yep. I agree. Anything else on this? No. I mean, besides the, 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 the latest news that came out about our, our summer with uh, Mike Ashley. Yes. Um, so, well, do you want to take this? I, I actually want you to take this. So tell, tell us about this summer. Yeah. Um, so this is from, um, the Telegraph and, and Luke Edwards, who Luke Edwards, obviously very reputable um, journalist and, uh, and the Telegraph, pretty reputable site. They, they've had a lot of exclusives. I believe they also had the Stavely exclusive interview. So they're, they're solid stuff. Um, he's made the claim that uh, sources have told him that Mike Ashley took around 10 million pounds out of the club this summer, um, which deprived Rafa, of course, of, of much needed transfer funds. Um, he took back some of the interest-free loan that he'd given the club. Um, and we don't really know what he did with this 10 million pounds. Um, but, but essentially, uh, 10 million pounds in a summer, in a summer window where 10 million pounds would have at least gotten Newcastle, another decent player to another club. It's not really a big deal, but when you've had such a shocking start and such a terrible bench and, and the situation come with Isaac Hayden and the situation come with Marino, 10 million pounds, that that's a lot of money that you took out of Rafa's uh, transfer budget. Yeah, definitely. Um, and like, think think of a player like so. We got Muto for what was it nine nine and a half nine, nine and a half. Yeah. So think think if we use that towards a player like a, a midfielder or something or a yeah, number, just get get I a guess good. You can't find a number ten for that price still, but I mean, but I, I mean, I wouldn't mind you know seeing a a box the box guy out of, of Liga MX or a box the box guy out of Argentina, where you know, I mean, I don't want to bring American in this. I think Atlanta United's signing a, a number ten um, who's playing in Argentina for what fifteen million euros. Yeah, that that's that's not obviously exactly ten million pounds, but it's in the same it's that same general area when you do the math, and it's like there's there was opportunities to buy players um abroad with that 10 million pounds and i don't know how vast rafa's scouting network is but i wouldn't be surprised if there's some some quality german holding midfielders that are out there that we could have signed as depth i, I mean it's just it's it's definitely frustrating to say the least um, when you oh, see yeah. stuff like that and, and what's even more frustrating is that literally no one was surprised like this story almost flew <laughs> under the radar it was just like Oh yeah, that's Mike Ashley, and then everyone just kind of moves on and and goes on and discussing what's the issue at the club when you know one article just clearly points a large finger at the number one issue at the club right now. 
Yeah, uh, it's it's just not good, and especially in the promise aspect of it, right? Yeah, like you're promised all of this, and you don't get any of it. Like you promise, like oh, what 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 was the exact quote? It was every money the club generate or every dollar, every the, penny? Yeah, every penny the club generates, and you take like you just take ten mil out. It's like yeah. what are you doing? Like yeah. it's it's laugh. I hate to laugh because it is tragic but it's so ridiculous how this is real how is yeah, this real and, life and you know and i think the saddest thing is that like like it seems laughable but like literally no one is laughing like i mean and and not even sunderland fans are like making fun of us like it's just yeah, everyone just point. feels bad like like literally there's no one who we've interacted with either through the podcast or on twitter if you go through your tw- there's like there's no one who's bashing newcastle for what's going on there's no one who's blaming anyone but mike ashley well there is dennis wise i mean well he doesn't count that like yeah they don't they don't count as people (laughs) yeah they're they're not people um but but yeah it's just everyone feels for newcastle i i mean i tell any of my my friends like hey guys they ask me how they they, like people are reaching out to me during the season about dude i'm sorry about newcastle i'm like Mm -hmm this is the first time anyone's ever reached out to me on behalf of Newcastle United. Like, it's just like, uh, it's, it, it's really sad. And it's one of those things where it's like, it's going to be turned into a Copa 90 video. Like probably like after this is all over the plight of Newcastle United, how, how one man ruined a club. Like I guarantee you like next year, it's going to be like a 12 minute documentary on Copa 90s YouTube page. But yeah. Yeah. yeah no, <laughs> I, I agree with that because and, and I'm happy that it's getting the attention that it deserves because this stuff just keeps happening over and over again. Not this exact thing, but like this, it just keeps happening. And you see it like you, you, if you follow the premier league on Twitter, they post like this day in premier league history, you should see how many times it's a Newcastle match or in the champions league or beating Arsenal or beating man United. Like that used to be the norm, but yeah. And, and and this is kind of my last point on this. And it's if the Premier League was structured differently, which I I don't want it to be structured. I want to get that out of, out of the way. It, you know, you get instances like in in America, you got the NFL. If there's a bad owner in the NFL, they force him out because he looks bad for the brand. I mean, one example of this, of course, is uh, the the 49ers, not the 49ers, the Panthers' previous owner was a terrible guy, and and everyone in the league forced him out. NBA, same thing. They had a racist owner and, and, and Donald Sterling. They forced him out. And it was just because the owners were all on the same page and, and realizing that, like, bad owners can, can, can really ruin the quality of the league as a whole, ruin the perception of the league as a whole. And I'm pretty sure, like, there's other owners probably out there and Premier League owners who they've been around the block. They know that Newcastle was a top club and that, you know, having Newcastle in the league is good for the club. Like, I think if they had any say – They'd, they'd try to force Ashley out if they could. I mean, that's just what I think. I don't know. Yeah, yeah, for sure, for sure. So, so we'll move on to this, and I, I have some strong feelings about the youth side in Newcastle. So that's been another thing is uh, you, you may have heard the name by now, Elias Sorison, who's a, uh, it's a 19-year-old Danish international striker for Newcastle, and he has been banging in goals. And so the one criticism that has come on Rafa is that he wants change or, or that he should change or we should do something different or wh- whatever it may be that he needs to do something to change these results because one sub and a loss to Brighton, things like that are just unacceptable. Now's the time then. I, some people, I actually saw a couple of people come out and uh, most, I think I feel most of the Newcastle fan base is like, call him up. Let's see what he has. And then you have your, I guess people who think they're like thinking logically, also, oh, he's 19. He'll get bullied in the Premier League. That is the worst narrative. I I cannot stand hearing that because look, he's three months older than Kylian Mbappe. Okay, yeah. uh, Elias Sorensen is. the The U system is not supposed to be a daycare. It's not in any club in any sport. The U system is not a daycare. It is the minor leagues. This is the minors of, of the Premier League right now, where Newcastle United is. If somebody is outperforming that league, they deserve a chance. I don't yeah. care if they're 14 years old. If he is 14 and banging in goals like he has been, then he gets called up. That's what happens. Yeah. Like, and, if, and if your end result is you loan him out, 
this is the perfect time to call him up because now you get to see what it's like at the top level of competition in the world. Call him up against Southampton. If he sucks, loan him out in January. Like, it's the perfect time. You have so many potentially good talents in Elias. You have Longstaff. You have Cal Roberts. You have Adam Wilson. Freddie Woodman. We all know Freddie's name. Jamie Sterry, even though he has a little bit of injury right now. All those guys, if they are outperforming at the level that they are currently playing in, they deserve a shot. Just And if you're not familiar with minor league baseball, uh, just show you that every baseball team has the minor leagues and different levels of the minors. And if you perform well enough in that league, you get promoted to your, to the big club. And that's how they should be changed. We have in, in the United States, we have, and a lot, I know most of our listeners are in the U.S., we have a good British following too. Thank you for that. But you may have heard of Josh Sargent. He's, what is he, 18? Yeah, barely. He's 18. He'd never played for a club ever. Was in like a St. Louis, Missouri soccer academy. He signs with Werder Bremen's U23 team. Kills it. Nine matches. Scoring goals. They called him up to the first team literally last week. He played a friendly today with a mix of U23s and first team against another first team side. He scored the game winner. Yeah. Like let him like let them see he's 18 years old doesn't mean he's oh he's 18 he's not going to he's not physical enough to play. No, that's wrong. That's wrong and it's naive and we should stop thinking like that. There's so many talent and there's so much talent in this world. Kristen Pulisic, Weston McKenney, Josh Sargent and that's just in the United States. Think about in the Netherlands and France and England all this talent that is sitting there and not being used because in England they treat youth academies as daycare. It's ridiculous. Yeah, and it's interesting. It's like, like there should be more. Like, if your if your academies are, are so great and and you're producing talent, there should be more stories like Marcus Rashford, where you get an opportunity at a really young age and you stick with a club, instead of okay, we sold Kevin De Bruyne, oh, and then turns out this guy was really good. We just didn't play him. It, there should be more stories like the like the former rather than the latter. But there's this stigma within British soccer that that youth isn't good, that we need proven players with, with these huge bodies and, and that are physically adept. And it's just like, you miss out on so many great talents. Like, I mean, we don't even need to go through the amount of players that Chelsea have sold or loaned out before they even got their opportunities really with the first team. And you could, you would imagine that like that starting 11, it, that whole, that whole team sheet would be guys that, that are like top of the premier league right now, like top, 30 players in the Premier League. So it, it's, it's very interesting. It's an interesting phenomenon. I think, Greg, my only question for you is, is just how do we what, – what makes Elias Sorensen different from other strikers that, you know, we've been excited about with Newcastle in the past, particularly like Adam Armstrong and, and, and guys like that? Well, what, one, he's bigger than Armstrong. That's probably Armstrong. Armstrong's best position is probably on the wing. But he, he got played in striker a lot. And he's getting played striker on loan – I mean – permanent right now Bradford um Blackburn and he's not scoring so there you go and I and my whole thing with Adam Armstrong is he scores in league two and league one but he doesn't score in the championship I think he has one goal this year in the championship um and so that that's enough for you there but Elias nobody has had this goal scoring record and so Elias Sorensen started with the U18s and then when Luke Sharman went on loan to Akron Stanley in league one Luke still hasn't played a, a match, but it's an injury. And Elias got called up. He was doing well. He was scoring a ton of goals in U18s. He came up, faces way better competition. There's a significant gap from U18s to U23s and U21s. And in the U21s, which is the checker trade trophy, he's playing against first team sides in League One and League Two. He's scoring there. He's playing in U23 to, uh, Premier League Two competitions. He's scoring there. Everywhere, everywhere he's played, he's scored. So people are like, oh, well, then you should loan him to a championship. No, give him a shot. Because yeah. – and I have two other examples. Like George Bellow, Atlanta United, 16 yeah. years old. He gets called in, and it was because of an injury. But they said, okay, he's doing well in the USL, which is essentially the minor league for – or the youth team, per se, for Atlanta United. They call him up. He scores in his first match. He's a he's – a, what's he, right back? Am I right? He's left back. Left back. Left back. Scores. Scores a goal. Like, and it was a beauty too. <laughs> Outside foot, like, that was money. Yeah. And, like, if you don't give them that opportunity, you can never see if they can rise the occasion. And yeah. that tenacity is that, that thing that makes you successful. And you look at even 
my MLS club is Philadelphia United. They never spend money. Owner is a cheapskate. They have signed more homegrown players than any team in MLS, and their academy started three or four years ago. And now you have Austin Trusty and Mark McKenzie, who are the main two, who are starting center backs every single week in the MLS, and they're under 21 years old. And but and they weren't even like world beaters in the USL, which is like like I said, the youth team. They they just took a chance. They said, okay, like you're you're getting to that point. You have the physicality, maybe we we want to give you a shot. We want to see what you can do if you can rise the occasion. They threw them in there and they did, and they earned their starting spot. But if yeah. you never do that, then these guys are never going to get their opportunity to show what they're capable of. You can't just let them sit around in U23s if they're outperforming the competition clearly. You have, here's another one. Uh, you have to take a risk. Yeah. Here's another one for you. Um, th- this one is another American, but it, I'm sorry we only know Americans. <laughs> um, but we, we can go on and on. I mean, you had Mbappe, same situation, where he's, he's at the club level in Monaco, and he rises to the occasion for care. I mean, all these young talents that everyone's paying hundreds of millions for. I mean, they had all the similar situation. I mean, and then, of course, the one that was before Josh Sargent, um, that kind of that hype died down because Josh Sargent was absolutely killing it, which the Sorensen thing does remind me a lot of Josh Sargent where, you know, Sorensen just started playing at this this U23 level has just been absolutely dominating. And Werder Bremen was like, yeah, we just need to move this kid up because it's just like it's there's no reason that he should just like it shouldn't be easy for him to go out and score three goals. Uh, another example no. of this, uh, Tim Weah, who last yes. season made his transfer to Paris Saint-Germain and – just absolutely was destroying like their in their B side, their U23 side. Like that whole year, he just worked his way up, got his debut with the first team, and then this summer because of the World Cup, can play consistent minutes with the first team during their their international preseason tour, the International Champions Cup or whatever it's called, and then got his opportunity to play um, with with uh, PSG's first team and in I think the second game of the season, and he scored. And it's just like now he's a consistent name on on the bench and stuff like that it's like the kid's 18 <laughs> and yeah and it was one of those where it's like oh I mean he's doing well let him play it's just it's a very frustrating thing and it, it is very and it's not a Newcastle problem and and I do and I think I I think Greg stresses that I think I want to stress that it's a it's a British soccer problem like Marcus Rashford shouldn't be this exception and this like ridiculous story like um who's the other guy Ryan Sessignon shouldn't be this like rarity like we should be pumping out more players yeah. who are getting the opportunities and we understand the Premier League's competitive that that's that's completely fair but every team has matches where they have the opportunity to try out some of these guys these younger guys and and, and give them an opportunity to see what they they look like either as a sub or as a starter like there's not a team in the league that doesn't have games like that where they can I mean for us it's going to be Southampton and for Southampton it could be us like it, it's just there's opportunities to play young players. I, I, I don't know. It's just, it's ridiculous. And it, it's, it's a very much a league wide stigma. Yeah. Yeah. I definitely agree. Wanted to get that off my chest. I think we should have Sorensen and Longstaff. And at this point, argue to me that Diame is better than Longstaff staff. Like, yeah. like try to argue that to me. Cause you, you just, you can't, cause you probably haven't watched Longstaff and I have, but like and I've watched him against lesser competition, and I watched a lot of his matches with when he was on Blackpool last year. So I, I know a lot about his game, and he can strike a ball from thirty out. He scored one yesterday uh, on Monday from thirty five yards out. Um, yeah, and so why not? What I, I mean, what's so so we lose another match? Okay, same same as what we've been doing, but okay. it's something different. Yeah, yeah, just give it a shot. Yeah, oh, and and. And here's my thing is I don't know I mean and this is this is after and and I and I think people heard this when I was doing CHN live on on Facebook shout out to the Facebook squad um, and Chris and I very much did not like Modiame and Modiame um, last season I think the only reason people like him is that he had this one run of form um, after after the whole yeah. training incident that like made everyone love him. Um, but in reality, watching Diame play is very frustrating because the guy has a brick first touch. Um, and, I mean, I think the only thing – the only reason he consistently plays – and I've seen this a lot, and it's just like – it seems like just a cop-out to keep him playing – is that a lot of people praise his athleticism. And I'm just like, 
yeah, sure, he's big and fast, but that means nothing if he gives the ball away in the midfield all the time. It means nothing if he gives away silly fouls. It means nothing if he has a terrible first touch and, and the ball bounces off his foot and goes 30 yards out of bounds. Like, that means nothing. Um, your athleticism is great. Good. He's good in the air. Good. He's going to win some challenges. But I would rather have Longstaff, who might be less athletic, but is going to retain possession. He's going to go get forward. He's going to play good balls in the box. And he's going to finish his chances. Like, I'd rather have him than a guy who's just incredibly athletic. Yeah. I don't know. And, and no, maybe sure. – and, and, and maybe it's like Longstaff's not getting the opportunity for the same reason we didn't see Muto get the opportunity in the beginning. He just, he just hasn't played enough with the first team in training uh, to learn the system, learn the tactics that Rafa wants out of his holding midfielders. But at this point, it's one of those where it literally makes no sense in the world to keep Isaac Hayden on the bench because he doesn't want to be here. And if you're not going to put Key in his place, you might as well put Longstaff there. It just uh, it makes no sense. At least have him on the bench. At least have him train with the first team consistently. Because I mean, what you have right now is simply not working. Especially when you look at the bench. Yeah. No, I definitely agree. Now, now we'll move in to. We want to do it for every international break. Well, we'll do it once a month. But we're going to move on to Graham's state of the club. Uh, Graham Bell, season ticket holder for Newcastle United. You might have heard him on our last international break. It's a little delayed this time, but um, he's going to give about five minutes or so on his thoughts. Uh, obviously, he was at the match with Brighton. So we will take it away to you, Graham. Um, warning, it is not positive. Hi lads, great to be back on the show. Thanks for having me. Just to get right into it, really, um, yesterday's performance was not good enough um, by any stretch it was it was awful and um, it says we had 27 shots um, but I can only count on one hand the saves that Matt Ryan had to, had to make and um, for me it was just all sideways 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 no movement you could see that Shelby was getting so fed up because no one was making a run and then he had to go backwards or or pass it to the army and it's just so frustrating watching us at the minute um, and to be honest it mirrored the the performance against Leicester um, very toothless in attack not not much happening um, and to be honest I was so disappointed because especially after the Man United game where we, we took the game to, to, to United especially in the first half we, we went out all guns blazing um, but against Brighton, we there was just nothing there. It was so depressing, really. Um, the atmosphere reflected that. Uh, there wasn't much. There wasn't much happening, really. Um, and it's not the fans' fault. The the players, the manager, they have to do something to get their fans off the off the feet and and you know get behind the lads. Um, I know a lot of people are, are blaming Ashley, obviously, because there was a lack of investment yet again. But I I agree with them to a point. But it's it's getting it's getting to the stage now where we can't blame Mike Ashley every week. Um, he's he is a cancer to the club, but now really the players and Rafa have to take responsibility because at the moment there's nothing we can do about the owner it's the 11 players on the pitch it's the manager that have to make a change they they have to they have to turn the season around because at the moment I can't see where our where our first wins coming from and as said before the Brighton game judges on the next 10 games I know Greg you were saying judges on the first 10 but Really, our season is defined around these next ten. We had Brighton, um, which we just didn't look good enough. Um, and next, we've got Southampton, and then I think it's Wolves. Um, so it's, you know, it's it's a big, it's a big defining couple of months of the season. So uh, really, we need to get our first win, preferably next week, because it's just. It's just not good enough, and um, at the moment I think the players are a bit scared to play at home, um, because at Old Trafford we were we were fantastic for seventy minutes I would say, um, but especially Leicester, um, and then against Brighton wasn't good enough, 
the only home game that we've we've sort of played decent in was the opening game against Spurs, um, where we showed in glimpses, little patches of what we could do. But um, the the last few home games have been shocking um, and just just not good enough at all. Um, but for me, like I say, we we can't constantly blame Mike Ashley. Um, it it does trickle down from from the top to the bottom, but really, in recent seasons, you've seen Lascelles come out and and share his views and and try and get the dressing room together. But we haven't seen that so far this season. There there seems to be a lack of fight there. The they just it seems that their heart aren't in it at the moment, and that's quite upsetting to see. Um, because to be honest, it's pretty much the same squad as as last season. So, and and we finished tenth. So there's no reason why we we can't at least, you know, um, finish in a similar similar position. Um, you know, tenth, twelfth maybe, but at the moment it's it's been it's been shocking, and and we are, we we deserve to be rock bottom. Um, and it pains me to say that it's. It has just been awful, um, and now I am petrified about Southampton away because um, you know it's a ground that we we don't really do very well at. We've had a few hammerings down there, um, and it's it's a very very worrying time to be a Newcastle fan at the moment. All right, and that is Graham Bell, season ticket holder for Newcastle United and also a great contributor to our website coming home newcastle.com he also has his own website is that what you're about to push I was about to push the fact that this guy has a book coming out a book coming out that's right and it's about Newcastle because why why not yeah this this man is dedicated to the club and it it sucks to hear him talk like that about what he loves most and you know his his wife would be first but then newcastle but maybe not but i let's not maybe i should cut that out if his wife listens sorry uh, <laughs> don't mean to, don't mean to put that debate into your life um but yeah i mean valid points there it's just he mentioned in there that you know you're going sideways to sideways the whole match against brighton and shelby's like somebody somebody go for it um and that's going to bring us into brighton like I, I don't, I'm at a loss for words, Elijah. Help me. Um, I would say this. Newcastle dominated every facet of that game besides the, the part that allows you to win, which is the scoring part. Mm. And, I mean, I think, that, I think to a lot of fans, that was the most frustrating part about um, the Brighton matchup. It was just we had the chances. We were so close so many times, and we couldn't put it, we couldn't put it away. And it was just – it's so annoying. Like, John Joe Shelby played the game of his life. He had, like, 71 accurate passes completed. Um, I think most sites yeah. have him as, like, an 8.3 match rating. Like, it was just ridiculous. We had 27 shots. 27 shots. 82% pass success. To, to, for for just, 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 I don't know, I, just for reference, I have the stats right here. Brighton had eight total shots, 151 accurate passes, and 61% pass success. Newcastle, 27 shots, 414 accurate passes, 82% pass success, 70-30 on, on possession. It's just Man. like in every bit of, of everything, Newcastle dominated that game. And so it was, it was incredibly frustrating. Nine blocked shots, one shot hit the woodwork, 13 shots taken inside the box, 14 shots taken outside. It's just – I, I don't, it just, it was baffling. And it's just, how do we not have someone who can, who can score? And and there were yeah. so many opportunities. It's like, it's almost to the point where Greg usually just goes and, and breaks down every match event because there's so few chances Newcastle gets. But like, if we were to do that, this podcast would be two hours long because we had 27 shots. So <laughs> like, I don't know what, what people would want us to do. Like, we're not going to break down every single one of them. It just, that lack of a finisher is is really telling, and and as great as Muto is, um, I mean he was pretty uninvolved in the beginning of the of the match, um, but he definitely got more involved. 
I do think that Muto is probably going to be best when paired with someone like, like Rondo and it's going to be able to have a big physical presence. And I know Greg, you talked about this earlier. You had a particular issue with the amount of long balls he played with the lack of height we have um, mm-hmm. on the side. Yeah, that was my biggest issue. It's like, I know um, Hasselu did come on, but you're swinging the balls into the box for Muto, who's, I mean, uh, how tall is he? Not, not tall. And yeah. we know Perez isn't tall. And you're swinging in the box for those two to make a play. And we already know there's only one of those players can even <laughs> handle a ball inside the box. And it's not Izzy Perez. So you're swinging, in the ball, you're swinging the ball into the box, targeting two people, but only one could actually do something with it. So you have three center or three tall defenders guarding Muto, and everyone's like, let him have the ball. Let Perez have the ball. He's going to lose it. So, and it's just like, ah, oh, like <laughs> it's so frustrating to yeah. watch. And you're sitting there and you're seeing like, we're, like Brighton got the goal and they just sat back. They knew we weren't going to do anything. Yeah. And, and there's no creativity. Like imagine if we had a player, Hayden Bonafa, to literally attack the defense by dribbling and literally slice right through them. Yeah. Like that. Who, who's got the confidence to do so? And yeah. I think Kennedy could. I just think that. He either – sometimes it's a very – it's a big mix. It's like watching Barco for Atlanta United where it's like some sometimes he's going to take him on. It's going to turn out well. And some days it's just like he doesn't want to take anyone on. And he just – like, I mean, I don't know. It's very frustrating, especially given the fact that that Brighton defense is easily the worst defense we've seen so far this season. And it's not really that much of a disrespect to Brighton. It's just we've seen really good defenses. But, I mean, that back line, like – there were so many chances created by Newcastle that they didn't convert. And there could have been more if we had played the ball up through the middle, if we had actually had our wingers cut in. Like, there would have been so many more chances that could have been created um, if we attacked the back line instead of swinging the ball into their two center backs who were both, like, 6-3. So it's just it, – it was there was a frustrating issue with tactics, and I think that's part of the the big whose fault is it anyways because I don't, I don't think anyone thinks that we should have been swinging in balls um, – to our two like five foot eight strikers versus their six foot three center backs. So it, it was it was a very frustrating match to watch, to say the least. Yeah. Um I yeah, I I don't have a lot more to say. I mean it was just we don't have anything. We don't have anything to go off of. <laughs> um and and then you're down one oh and another issue and this is where I think Rafa is getting a lot of criticism, but then we mentioned the quality of our bench, but he makes one sub and it's Hasselu for Muto, not Perez for Muto. And Perez literally, I mean, Muto was essentially the 10 in this and Perez just stood up top, just not doing anything. I, it's so frustrating. <laughs> and so I, he makes a sub. I was like, Perez is really going to play 90 minutes here. And every time he gets the ball in the box, he loses it. It's just, I don't it's it kills me it's killing me it's okay. killing me slowly I, I like I'm beginning to not be able to combine words together to form a sentence to describe how he should not be playing in the prem okay all right I'll ready you this okay um Iose Perez created the most chances in the match six chances created for Iose Perez so I don't know okay zero goals okay you got me there got me. <laughs> as a team. <laughs> yeah. I mean, no, you're right. You're right. I just wanted to point out there that he was, he was, yeah. It was prob- well, I wonder what they were picking with chances because is a chance him having the ball in the box with an opportunity to shoot. And he never, yes. Cause that, technically cause, that's yeah. probably a chance. <laughs> then sure. Yeah. He created three chance or six chances, but I mean, any qu- player of quality probably would have scored two of those. So I, yeah. That's that's it's brutal. So I, I was not happy with one sub and even like but I'm looking at our bench. Our bench for this match was particularly enticing. We had Carl Darlow, he could play ten. Um yeah. Mankio, Cher, Hayden, Atsu, and Murphy. And that's and well, and Hoslu, but he came on. But and that was it. So not that, a lot of confidence <laughs> on that, that bench. And that bench. To be fair, it looks like that bench – I mean, and part of it is that's just who we have, but it, it does kind of look like that bench was created um, with the expectation that we would have scored 
goals and would have been in control. And then you bring on uh, Jacob Murphy to relieve Matt Ritchie. You bring on Atsu to relieve um, Kennedy because we're up 3-1 or something. Um, and then you maybe bring in another center back, maybe sub and share or, or sub and Mankeo as another defender. That's what that looks like to me. But when you're down yeah. and you need offense, this is – I mean, it makes sense that there was only one sub and it was to bring on Hoslu. Like, arguably – Arguably, you could you could make the case that it could have been better to not even sub on Hasselu and just simply change how we were attacking uh, Brighton's defense, and that could have resulted in goals um, with a higher success rate than just bringing on Hasselu, um, even though he is still our leading scorer. So, um, yeah, it, it's it's uh, it was it was something. It was it was definitely something. Um, yep. and, and that bench was just like. Like I, I was, it was literally like I think everyone was like, "All right, we brought on Hassel, like some bring on some." And th- like the ridiculous suggestions I saw from people, there were there were people who were like, "Take out Ioze and put in Jacob Murphy at the number ten. And I'm just like, "No, like like I understand that you, like you want something different. And you're not impressed with Ioze, but like that's arguably worse just because I think that now. I mean, I don't know. Is it worse that a guy's like completely just playing the position wrong? Or is it worse when there's a guy who just stands around and does nothing? So I don't know. It's just pick your poison. I don't know if that's going to improve anything. Yeah, it's going to be different. I don't know. It's just it, – it's, it's a terrible – I don't know. Can we get on to the quotes? Like, I, I just – I have no idea what to say. Yeah. Yeah, we'll go with quotes. It's not going to be positive. Um, but this is literally – I'm not even joking. This is exactly – I'm going to read the quote word for word for what Rafa said. We'll just carry on trying to win games and try to find three teams worse than us. That's a direct quote. And then he said, sometimes you lose games without creating too much or because the other team is too strong and you have to defend. Today we were in control. We had the chances and they scored a goal from a corner that was not even a corner. After that, they were just wasting time. I think after a game like this one, you have to say we almost did everything to win. Almost meaning we were not good enough in the final third and didn't take our chances. But in terms of the effort of the players, you cannot ask for more. Yeah. Um, but that first bit, <laughs> try to find three teams worse than us. That is very eye-opening to me. It's the harsh reality of the situation. Yeah, yeah, it really is. I, it, I imagine a, play, a manager saying that and, and being in your locker room as a player and you hear your manager say that. It's it's the truth, and the players know it. They're not they're not blind. Yeah, <laughs> and, and I will say this: there were some positive quotes. I'm sure people have heard a Dubravko quote um, quotes uh, where he's backing Rafa. He says, "I don't think there's time to panic now. There's still a lot of games in front of us. We can still take some points. I know it can happen really soon. If we take some victories, the confidence will go higher." I have to say that all of us are behind the manager behind each other all of the club are supporting us i don't think it's time to speculate which to be fair it seems like that is the same quote that we hear every single week just from a different newcastle player yeah it's like one week it's Jose paris one week it's dubrovka one week it's it's richie it's like it's just like yes everyone agrees that this like if you go on and win games the situation will be better and that everyone's confident rafa but i mean no one wants to address at least publicly the elephant in the room which of course this is, is Mike Ashley. Um, yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So Oof. I have some stats and uh, we broke records. We, we, we did. Broke some rec- we broke some records. Um, so this is the, and I'll get to the records last. I'll save it for last, even though they're not good records. Um, so we are at bottom of the table now. We're 20th. The last time that we were 20th was October of 2015. So been a little bit. Um, the last time Newcastle United have been down in the Premier League at halftime and came back to win that match was December 2006 against Reading, 12 years ago. Think about that. 12 years since the last time we were losing at halftime and came back to win. Um, we, in, in, in terms of like home losing starts, uh, we lost five straight, and that is a club record. We've never lost five straight to begin a season before at home. Um, and 
now like five straight defeats at any point in the season. The last time that happened, it's, it's actually pretty recent November and December of 2017. Uh, we lost five straight. That was our, um, that was, that was a tough time, but we obviously came back from that. The last, the last time we lost six straight at home was 1953. So a long time ago. Um, and then nine games without a victory is not the worst run of form, but it's, 14 games is a record. So we're at nine. We have five more to go to get a win. And that was in 1999. And then the worst record is nine game winless streak to start a premier league season has never happened in Newcastle United's history. Oof. Yeah. History that has now spanned been played in three centuries we have never lost nine or gone winless nine straight. Um, so going to 538, which I mentioned on every podcast, it seems now, they kind of just do soccer power index on strength of teams, what they think the prediction, how the season's going to end up. And the relegation zone still doesn't have us in it. They must think we're way better than our form. Well, they obviously do, but they still have us fifth from bottom. And it's getting, it's closing in. It's, it's coming I mean, every week. It's higher and higher chance of relegation. So fifth from bottom is us at 33% chance to get relegated. So a third Burnley is fourth at 38. And then the bottom three starting from 18th place would be Fulham. 19th would be Cardiff and last is Huddersfield. Um, so they, right now they think that Newcastle is going to be safe at 36 points which we're on pace for 20 something points. <laughs> yeah. Um, I will say this though. There's, I think there's more egregious holes in some of those other teams than are with Newcastle. Like Fulham's defense is really bad. Yeah. Like, like it's like, yes, I think our attack is probably our weakest point to, to say the least, but I think you could get by and survive with, a solid attack. I mean, sorry, with a decent attack and a solid defense. I don't think you can go – you can get on and survive with a decent attack and a terrible offense, a terrible defense. So, it's like it, – I do think that Fulham, there's there's some issues to address. Um, I do think West Ham is also really bad. But I don't – I mean, in Huddersfield, we should have beat them. I mean, it, there's a lot to, to unpack. But, but yeah. I, I can see the logic and I can see how having Rafa helps. He's a good tactician blah, 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 he can, he, he's going to outmanage a lot of the managers that we'll come up against. But obviously, the future is bleak. I think times will change once we get a good string of at least – I think if we get, like, win, draw, win, people will be, like, content with, with whatever is on the field. I don't know. Yeah, I, yeah, I, I, I see that as uh, – obviously, that would boost everyone's spirits. So, we just have to hopefully – hopefully get there pretty soon <laughs> yeah. time is starting to run out i gave it 10 10 games i said don't panic after 10 but even i think even a win in this next match our 10th would not look good I, I think it is time to panic is what i'm saying um because like uh, five points through 10 is is unacceptable as for this club um yeah, that's pretty much it unfortunately all right, so who's your best player from the match? Um, oof. Let's see. Um, I think the the best choice is to go with John Joe Shelby. Yep. Uh, simply because he was ridiculous. Um, looking at – I looked at uh, FOTMOB's headline as well as who scored, and uh, they both had him as the highest overall rated player out of both teams, which kind of tells you how the match went, by the way, if the the midfielder for the losing team is the man of the match. Um, but, I mean, he was he was ridiculous. I think I would also add in Kennedy on that. I just thought he's starting to look like the Kennedy that we saw at the end of last season, and his confidence is up again. So that that's yeah. cool. Yeah, and I, uh, I, I'm, I'm the same thing. I, I, I couldn't pick anybody else besides John Joe for me. Um, and, and those reasons are why. So tell us your worst player. Um, I'm not going to go with Iuzi. I'm actually going to go with a player <laughs> who didn't didn't actually have that bad of a match. But as one of our, our other writers pointed out, this was definitely one of his worser, worser matches. That's not a thing. 
one of his worst matches to date um, in the Premier League. I think uh, Jamal LaSalle's looked a little bit out of place. Um, I wouldn't say he was terrible. He just didn't look – he didn't look great. Um, he didn't look like the same confident uh, Jamal LaSalle's that we've come to um, to know and love. So I think that that's a – I wouldn't say it's concerning, but if, if I saw that, you know, two, three matches in a row from your captain who – We've been in, in bad uh, – we've, we've had bad form before, and we've seen him be that constant form of positivity rating from the club. Um, but if, if he continues to kind of show performances like this, uh, it, you, you, you're, you should be a little bit concerned, <laughs> to say the least. Uh, uh, yeah, just a tad, I think. <laughs> yeah. Mine is for the brand. Of course. It's I, it's I How many times are you going to get the ball in the box and not convert or not even get a shot off? I'm, I'm done. I've been done. I'm done. Um, that's... Oh, wait. Before oh. we move on, oh, uh, I special love, I sh- love the weights. <laughs> but, uh, just special shout-out to Federico Fernandez, who we've had very mixed feelings about on this podcast. I feel, I feel like some weeks we're like, he's solid. And then some, and some weeks we're like, get him off the pitch. Like, why isn't Cher starting? <laughs> Even though, like, the, the actual numbers show that Federico Fernandez has been actually one of our best players this season. Yes, I'm definitely. Of, like, rating and stuff, but so we, I think we don't give him any love. Um, so as as we like to give Dubrovka goalkeeper love because goalkeepers don't give love, we'll give Fernandez some love as well. Uh, he had a good match. Um, he definitely looks like one of our most composed players on the ball. Uh, and he he looked like the captain uh, this past weekend rather than themselves, which, huh? Trouble in paradise. Well, actually, this isn't paradise. So just trouble, trouble in general. Maybe. Yeah, just. Pure trouble. All right, so we're we're gonna get to well. Let's look a little bit at the Premier League table. Oh, um, the we're last. The uh, other the other two joining us in the relegation zone is Huddersfield at 19th with three points, Fulham at 18th with five. A win, assuming the others lose, and Cardiff is also in five points with 17. But if if we win and the other those three lose, we're in all of a sudden in 17th. Um, so we'll be out of it, assuming that happens. Um, but top of the table, it's Man City, Liverpool, nodded at 23, Chelsea, Arsenal, Spurs, and then my two relegation predictions, Burnmouth and Watford in six and seven. Um, and then we're playing Wolves soon. They're in ninth. And then Southampton is 16th. They're at six points, so four above us. Uh, one win on the season. Yeah, so we're going to preview the Southampton match on – you'll see that Thursday night, Friday morning. Um, You'll see that podcast come out. But we'll end this one with your questions. We had one um, from the go. No, no, we had two. We had two. Oh, Oh, yeah, 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 from you. Oh, yeah. You ask, is New Jersey considered Philly? since it's only 15 minutes away. New Jersey, the state, Philadelphia, the city, and Pe- Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. Is it considered a state, or is it is it considered Philly because it's only 15 minutes away? No, because it's a different state. Okay. But if you ask people from Camden where they're from, I bet you you'll get some East Philly. No, no, I think, I think people in Jersey are obnoxiously proud of being from Jersey. And maybe uh, that's just because I went to Syracuse. But, like, there's people who are like – Well, no, it's different. North Jersey and South Jersey is a whole different ballgame. No, no, I agree with you. I'm saying the people in South Jersey will say they're from South Jersey, and then they'll mention that they're close to whatever major city. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. That, I can see like, that, too. I'm from this city, blah, blah, blah. It's like 15 minutes from Philly. Oh, it's like, yeah, it's like okay, dude, I didn't ask yeah. that, but whatever. Yeah, because hey. I'm, I'm from Wilmington, Delaware, and pretty much no one knows where that is. So I basically – I just say I'm from South Philly. Because literally, I'm thirty, I'm twenty to thirty minutes from all the sports stadiums in Philadelphia. I'm thirty minutes from Center City, so they're like, "Where? What's Delaware? I'm from South Philly. Like, that's <laughs> what, that's where. I'm what's from. Delaware? Yeah, like that's the I, question. Somebody actually, and I'm not joking. Somebody, this was uh, two guys from Utah, and it's one of my favorite stories. Someone asked me if Delaware. So they said, "You have a weird accent. Where are you from?" And I said, "I'm from Wilmington, Delaware." I said, "Isn't that the capital of Philly?" And I, like, I was with my dad. Yeah, yeah, they asked if, if Delaware, the state, was the capital of the city of Philadelphia. 
and my dad was with me and he goes yeah yeah it is and i like they walked away and i was like why'd you say that he was like because if they're that wrong you can never teach them <laughs> yeah I, I, I like how you say i'm from wilmington delaware and they're like oh that must be a hyphenated city that's the <laughs> yeah, capital of philly. capital of philly yeah it's it's uh it's funny it's funny being from delaware because nobody knows where it is um but let's get to the goats question trevor mooney okay good one as always so he said first team first team versus u23 scrimmage based on current form with mod- modified rules the first rule is players must eat large spicy indian meal prior to kickoff the second rule is players must wear moon bounce shoes and third puking equals red card who wins I think that the first team wins because, and this is why, hear this, I think they have more experience with consuming alcohol so their stomachs are tougher. So they wouldn't puke as much. Interesting. I'm going to go oppo here, U23s, because I love my U23s. They're used to moon valve shoes. I mean, they're only like a couple years removed from it. And plus, they probably eat mom spaghetti all the time. Okay, I have or a Indian food. I'm not sure what moon bounce shoes are. Yeah, those, just, just those big shoes that you wear in moon bounces. I'm thinking of like more like clown shoes, I guess. Maybe Clever has to clarify. No, Actually, let's do this. You know what it is? I think it's that me, a millennial, I'm too young to Ooh. know what these shoes are. Oh, so yeah. That's why the U23s don't know. Moon bounce shoes are essentially sandals that you put your feet in that are strapped to this big box underneath the sandal and you just wear, wear, wear. Oh, you know, I do remember these. I remember yeah. wanting some of these because I thought like my, this is my logic. Cause I'm, this, these were, these, yeah, I was alive for these cause I had a basketball <laughs> goal in my driveway and I was like, my uh, logic was let me get moon bounce shoes so I can dunk. And my parents were like, we're not spending a hundred dollars on shoes. You can't even like wear in public. So, <laughs> yeah, I no. would. Um, I I think, I think it's U twenty threes because one, they're just younger; they're not far from removed from it. And like, based on current form, first team not doing so well. U twenty threes have won four straight. I mean, puking equals red card. I don't think. I think the older guys are going to puke more than the younger guys. I, I just just my sense. Okay. But I'm also really biased towards the U23s because Rafa play them. All right. Do you have anything else, Elijah? Yeah, I do, actually. Why oh, are Moonbound shoes $100? And why is there only one left <laughs> at, at, on Walmart.com? It looks like just like plastic. Like, it's just, I don't, I don't get it. I mean, I don't know. I need to try these. Okay. That was yeah. all I have, actually. Nothing right. related to the podcast. Well... Ladies and gentlemen, that is that concludes episode 14 of the best Newcastle United podcast across the pond for coming home Newcastle. I'm your host. <laughs> I'm your host, Greg Troxel, the best co-host in the world, Elijah Newsom. And we're going to see you later this week. Follow us. Tweet to us. Rate us five stars. We have 11, guys. We can, we can easily get to 50. Let's do that, please. It's going to help us with exposure. Subscribe. Do all the right things. Send us emails. CHMRadioNEOC at gmail.com. And away the lights.
happy good. There was four and twenty on the busman who the danced and soon. They called on me to sing a song and I sang the paddy singing. I danced the jig and swung me twig the day I went to bleeding. The blade and tune, the bellman he was calling there, they called him Jackie Broom. I saw him talking to some chaps, and then he was persuading the Gamsey Jordy Ridley showing the mechanics how it bladed. Quite moody. Coffee Johnny had a white hat on, they yelled, we stole the cuddy. There were spice styles and monkey shows and ad wives selling ciders. You check for the happening room, they won't you to know my lads for riders. Oh. 